you got my name right. Thank you. How are you guys doing out there, CP? Awesome, awesome. I just uh, want to thank you for uh, allowing me to uh, come and share these next few moments with you this morning. Um, you'll have to pardon my, my voice. Um, it always goes to show that uh, when something is that you're looking forward to uh, doing, that something kind of has to trip it up. Um, and this week it was uh, losing my voice, uh, going all hoarse on me. So uh, uh, we're just going to keep right on going, but uh, thank you guys for being patient and understanding. Um, like Aaron said, we were just um, brainstorming some ideas of what uh, this weekend, mapping things out, and, and Aaron and Ryan, I think we Skyped that message. Um, and uh, we were just kind of like looking at uh, what, what uh, we were planning on doing, and um, all these ideas of names throughout the book of Proverbs were just sitting there. And we looked at uh, Love Over Lust, and um, the group said, oh, that'd be perfect for Valentine's weekend, right? Yeah, it makes sense, you know, because God is uh, all over the calendar. He's uh, God of everything. So it totally fits. I get it. Um, but I also know um, that I have been picked last for everything, like um, dodgeball and basketball <laughs> and things like that. So I know how the game works. You just kind of lay back and be quiet a little bit, and uh, it all sorted itself out. Um, so it did. It sorted itself out, and I was picked last for this one. So um, lucky me, right? You know, I, uh, got, uh, I got to teach about demons on Halloween night uh, at my point. So what's up with love and lust on Valentine's weekend? So that's where we're at today. Um, thank you guys uh, for being here. And I just uh, want to thank you for the Imago. That was awesome. Uh, give it another hand for that Imago. It was really cool. So like Aaron said, over the last few weeks, we've been kind of bouncing back and forth uh, throughout the book of Proverbs uh, because we really believe that God's wisdom is revealed through uh, imperfect people worshiping a perfect God. Um, we, we just see that throughout Scripture, that imperfect people worshiping a perfect God just allows God to move and, and do so much. So um, that way, each one of us uh, in his kingdom play a role in that. We are all people just journeying through life together, right? And uh, just making our way down the track. And uh, we're picking up new things, and we're standing on the shoulders of Christ followers from generations ago. All this wisdom that we're looking at through the book of Proverbs has just been real, right? Because wisdom is something that's learned uh, usually the hard way. And if we can save the hard moments and just gain wisdom from another generation, then I'm all for that. So God has just been unpacking generation after generation with wisdom. And God's wisdom grows exponentially as he reveals himself through each generation. It, it seems like every time a new generation steps onto this planet that uh, God is just teaching and showing more of himself. And that's not a coincidence. Because it's like, a, it's like a pebble that's thrown into a river, right? When God speaks, it echoes through eternity. And we just get to stand and sit in that eternity and let the water wash over us. And it's just beautiful the way he designed it. So, um, this week we're just going to jump in. I want to uh, kind of give you a heads up. I know this is Valentine's Day weekend, or a reminder, um, it was Valentine's a few days ago. So, that could explain a few things that happened in your life that weren't so good. But I forgot Valentine's Day. So um, I know that there are people that uh, um, have somebody to share Valentine's with, um, but if you're on the other end of the spectrum and you're just waiting for February 15th and 16th, because chocolate's half price, well, today's your day, chocolate's half price. Um, but we're going to tackle something uh, a little uh, unusual, love over lust, that um, uh, the world has filled in uh, part of the narrative for. 
Um, see, if the church is silent on a few issues, love and love being, love and less being one of them, um, and we're not engaged in the conversation, then the only people who are searching that they're going to be able to hear is the world. The world will fill in and answer those questions. The church needs to step in and answer the questions because people are looking. So today, guys, um, we're not going to shy away from any topics, right? It's rated PG-13. So um, just kind of, everybody's like, whoa, church, Sunday, PG-13? Okay. So um, just, just sink into that, right? We're going to tackle things head on. And chances are I might offend somebody. I might offend somebody because of my language. But, guys, if we don't talk about it, the world's going to answer the questions, right? So, with all that said, who's ready to jump in, dive in, get it on, whatever you want to say? <laughs> awesome. I'm just going to pray real quick before we keep going. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that you've just given us this opportunity to share life, to breathe deep in you. So, would you fill this place up with your spirit and guide our conversation? And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. See, Proverbs is kind of unique. It opens up with a, a few speeches from a father to a son, all about what wisdom is, right? All about what, what it looks like to follow wisdom. And in all those speeches, the father likens wisdom to a woman, right? Gives, gives wisdom, takes it from being a thing, and gives it something uh, with form, something with a personality. And he calls wisdom lady wisdom, right? Gives wisdom a form. Wisdom is actually a person. Um, and in the book of Proverbs, the writers decided to do this for a few literary poetic reasons. Wisdom is a woman. So we see that, that uh, wisdom is not a thing, but it's actually given a form. I point that out because there's images that are intentional that this writer is using. Right? Because when we look at a few things in Proverbs, we see that, um, well, for example, Proverbs chapter 7, 1 through 5 says this. Follow my advice, my son. Always treasure my commands. Obey my commands and live. Guard my instructions as you guard your own eyes. Tie them on your fingers as a reminder. Write them deep within your heart. Love wisdom like a sister. Make insight a beloved member of your family. Let them protect you from an affair with an immoral woman or from listening to the flattery of a promiscuous woman. See, I say that. I set the stage with saying that, that the writer of Proverbs has chosen the form of a woman for a very specific reason. It's a literary, it's a metaphor, it's a poetic reason, right? They're telling a story here. Because if you keep looking, wisdom is lady wisdom. If you keep looking throughout chapter 7, we'll pick it up in verse 21, it actually says this. So she seduced him with her pretty speech and enticed him with flattery, right? He followed her at once like an ox going to slaughter. Or, or how about this in um, verse 26, a little bit down. For she has been the ruin of many, many men have been the victims. Her house is the road to the grave, her bedroom is the den of death. I mean, those aren't nice things. Those aren't great things to read. But the writer of Proverbs throughout this story has made wisdom a woman, lady wisdom. Also on the book, it would make sense that a foolish person would be following an immoral woman. So there's no political commentary there why, why it's always the woman's fault here when we read the Old Testament, right? Because we could kind of get that, well, why is it always the woman who is promiscuous or more? Why is it the guy? But that is just thinking of to, interpreting Scripture from today and not the literary references from then. 
right? So don't try to read yourself there. But basically, it's a story. It's a it's bookends, all right? Because Paul, I believe, pushes it a little further when he writes this to the church of Corinth. He says, I hope you will put up with a little more of my foolishness. His church, or, yes, uh, where did I go? Right there. Please bear with me, for I am jealous for you with the jealousy of God himself. I promised you as a pure bride to one husband, Christ. Well, church, we are a bride. We have also been likened to the form of a woman. It's a metaphor. So we are a bride of Christ. We as the church are promised to one groom, right? And that's Christ. So when you look at all these references of women, um, we fit right in there as well. Because a woman in Scripture has beauty, has femininity, is something to be cherished, something to be sought after, something to be rescued and bought with a price, right? It's not a, an object to obtain. See, I hope it's starting to make sense that we as a community, we as a believer, a group of believers, are the bride of Christ. Um, so yes, guys, that even means you, you're a bride. So the question then becomes, what kind of bride are we? Which lady are we following as a bride of Christ? Are we following Lady Wisdom, or perhaps are we following an immoral, promiscuous woman? And you can say it again, it's ouch. You know, it's, it's a tough question. One that we're going to tackle today. Remember last week, Ryan talked about service over sacrifice. Remember he was up here and he talked about uh, what it looks like to get out of ourselves and join someone else's story and just serve them, coming under the kingship of Jesus. And that means exactly that, laying down my wants and needs and desires, picking up somebody else's wants and needs and desires, serving them with love. See, love and lust, they're complete opposites. Lust is selfish. Love is selfless. Lust is self-serving. Love is about serving others. Lust is only concerned with me and what I want. Whereas love is concerned with the other person and what they want. Right? We have this choice. And when it comes to loving someone, um, it, it's something that goes deeper than, than what it appears to be. And that's only what lust does. Lust only goes so far. See, a popular myth in our culture is that love is an emotion. I'm going to kind of push back on that. Love is way more than emotion. See, love is the combination of emotions, such as joy, such as peace, such as kindness, uh, and happiness, and excitement. And sometimes, on occasion, love is also a combination of frustration, right? Love is also a combination of sadness and maybe even anger. Because love is complicated, right? Anybody heard that? <coughs> Love's complicated. Or love hurts, whatever. Um, uh, whatever song you want to fill in right there. But love <laughs> is only complicated when we remove those emotions that should be found inside of love. Love is a, com uh, a pile of emotions, which means that love is more than an emotion. Love is actually a choice. Love is something that we choose to do. And if that's the case, then lust is also a choice, isn't it? Lust is not an emotion. It is also a choice. And again, our culture tells us that lust is just an emotion. Just do what feels right, right? Just do what you need to do um, and, and just go for it. The things that we usually lust after get tossed to the side, though, when those tough emotions come into play. When we get frustrated or sad or angry, lust all of a sudden is not something we, we chase after. Because it's tough. Why would I work for lust? Lust is supposed to be easy. See, um, 
love is different than lust. They're complete opposites. We see in 1 John um, that uh, he says this, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. So love is actually something that comes from God, and love is actually God. God and love are the same thing, not an emotion, but a thing. See, love is created by God. So it would make sense that our enemy would want to pervert this thing, wouldn't it? Where he would want to take love and make it something that it is not, because that disconnects us from God. He wants to distort it, flip it on its head. So, enter lust. Lust is counterfeited what God created love to be. It has turned it upside down and completely made it what it wasn't supposed to be. See, in our culture today, we can turn anywhere... We can't look anywhere without seeing lust, right? Without seeing sex. Because sex sells, doesn't it? We can't, we can't listen to music or television or maybe even a football halftime show without seeing it. It's everywhere. Because sex sells. Marketing has figured out that if we just spice it up a little bit, we'll sell a little more on the side. Right? It, it just spices it up. And in fact, um, whatever your word is, Maybe it's, maybe it's uh, this, that, um, uh, that, that sex sells too much in our culture and it's too prevalent. Uh, we see that evident because the porn industry brought in $19 billion last year. $19 billion, that's a lot. See, it's really too bad that our world has screwed this up so much. Our world is a sexual mess. Given our sexually charged culture and consistent media pressure to be, to be in love or to satisfy ourselves or just get what we want and do what feels best, that leads us down to some places that we're never created to be. See, sex and physical pleasure is a gift from God. It's a gift. It is a gift from God or, or sex or whatever you want to call it, maybe special hugs. I heard that that was actually a term that Aaron uses, so <laughs> special hugs. supposed to look like. And see, God created sex to be beautiful. Sex just isn't physical. It's not about getting what we want. It's so much more. But we get uncomfortable when we talk about this stuff, don't we? We kind of twitch. But if you're twitching, that's okay, because I gave this message on Friday. My mom was in the room, so <laughs> don't worry about it. I get it. Because this is a topic that is supposed to be taboo. It's supposed to be icky feeling, right? It's supposed to be kind of dirty. Uh, the only time we talk about it is in health class, and we twitched and never wanted to talk about it again after that, right? We don't like it. So I want to answer some questions about why did God create sex? Why would he even create it? He didn't just stumble upon it. He didn't create Adam and Eve without creating sex, right? It wasn't a byproduct. He didn't go like, well, what did they... I didn't. Okay, that's kind of neat. Didn't know that was that neat. Whatever. I didn't know. I didn't know. Guys, he created it for a purpose. And I got five reasons. The first reason God created sex is to produce children. That we, as people, as part of God's creation, get to share in his creative force that is ongoing. We create through God. See, Genesis 9.1 says, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. Well, there's 7 billion people out there. 
That's a lot of sex, right? This is coming from a guy with four kids. And yes, I know how it works. I got four kids. You can't feed the earth without it, right? You cannot walk out creation without it. We are created in the image of God. And this is how we share it in the creative force. The second reason God created sex was for our enjoyment. We think that God is anti-sex or anti-me having sex, right? We think that that's just, no, that wasn't part of my plan. But guys, it's a gift from God. If we're, if, if God, sex is supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be fun. And if you're not having fun, then you're probably doing it wrong, right? Inside a God covenant relationship. Have you ever read Song of Solomon? It is all about a husband and a wife inside of this covenant relationship. In fact, I'll just read a little bit. Found in verse chapter 4, it says, You are my private garden, my treasure, my bride, a secluded spring, a hidden fountain. Your thighs shelter a paradise of pomegranates with rare spices. Yes, that's the Bible. That's not Fifty Shades of Grey. That's the Bible. That's the Bible. See, children are never mentioned in that book. They're not. It's all about enjoying your partner in a God-covenant relationship. The third reason God created sex is to create spiritual covenants. When two people come together through sex, they are not only one physically, but spiritually as well. It is a spiritual bond that, that is shared. See, when God created us, he created us with body, mind, and spirit. See, sex just isn't physical, but it also attaches spirituality and, and, and uh, our mind together. He created us in three distinct areas of life, physically, spiritually, and mentally. There is more to you than just your body, and there is more to sex than just a physical connection. There's more to you, and there's more to sex. There's, sex happens between two people in a spiritual bond, uh, and that is called, what the Bible has referenced, a, a spiritual covenant. A covenant is made right there, physically and spiritually. And what happens in that spiritual co covenant is that two souls are now connected as one. They are brought together under a spiritual covenant, and it ties two souls together. Some of you may have even heard the phrase soul tie. And because you've made a bond that lasts forever. It does, because it's, it's, your spirit is created to last forever. And your, your, your connection lasts forever. But the world is just going to tell you that, that sex is just sex, right? It's just lust. It's okay. It's whatever you got to do. It's not spiritual. Because if the enemy can convince you that it's not spiritual, then he can also convince you that you're not a spiritual being. If you're not a spiritual being, then what you do on this earth does not matter. So there's more to it. A spiritual connection created by lust is filled with... Drama and false premises, isn't it? Think back, anybody familiar with Abraham and Sarah and Hagar, right? When Abraham stepped out of God's promise, the way God was going to fulfill it and had a child with Hagar, it didn't go well, right? He had baby mama drama, and it just wasn't great. But if he, if he stayed in the covenant, the spiritual covenant, where God was fulfilling his promise with Sarah, everything was great. So two covenants were created in Abraham's life. Paul tells us this in 1 Corinthians. He says, Should a man take his body, which is part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never. A 
And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her. Paul understood this. That two people become one. I just want to ask, are you breathing out there? Nobody's passing out because we're talking about this? Okay, it's okay. You can breathe. Shake it off. Because I got fourth reason coming up. The fourth reason God created sex was to teach us intimacy. To teach us what it looks like to be so deeply connected with another person. Because he wants us to experience the depth of intimacy that he experiences with us on a daily basis. So he creates this way for us to experience intimacy. The most intimate thing two people inside of a covenant relationship can do is have sex. What is the most intimate thing that I can do in a covenant relationship with God? It's worship. We just did it for about a half an hour. That is the most intimate moment we as creations can share with our Creator. It's worship. So we see throughout that God has really put into place a parallel between worship and God, us and God, and sex and us and our partner in a covenant relationship. That worship and sex have been linked together. See, lust does not allow the depth of relationship because it's about me. Love allows a depth of relationship because it's about the other person. See, it's, love is unconditional. Meaning, whatever you do in the relationship, I will not stop loving you. Whatever we do in the relationship with God, our choices, our decisions, whatever, He is not going to stop loving you. But lust is conditional. Meaning, if, you, if, if, if we're in a lust relationship, you have to fulfill my agreement for you. Well, I can't fulfill an agreement for anybody else, right? I can't live up to those standards. So lust is conditional. The most intimate moment between two people in a relationship is found in love. And if Satan can take that and, and distort sex, then he can distort intimacy in our worship. It's hand in hand. Because, because God has so designed it this way. There's a direct connection, right? He, he wants to distort it in such a way. Because we have tied sex to lust. We think that sex is only attached to lust, and that's why we feel uncomfortable and taboo about it. But God didn't create it to be found in lust. He created it to be found in love. Which leads me to the fifth reason God created sex. It's for safety. Believe it or not, it's for safety. I know some of you have experienced a sexual relationship that was not safe. That you may have walked through something that was not your expectation of what sex was supposed to be. Whether it was abuse or a long-term commitment that didn't last. And for that, I want to say I'm sorry. That is not how God intended you to experience what he created. It's not. Nothing breaks God's heart more than to see his creation weaponized and used against his creation. It's not. I'm sorry. See, sex is supposed to be physically, emotionally, and spiritually, and mentally safe. When it is used inside a covenant relationship, it is safe. It is supposed to be talked about. God designed sex as a gift, not a weapon. The world has taken sex and created a weapon. And they have stolen that from God. Satan perverted it because he knows if he could destroy this one thing, 
that he leads us to believe these false premises about ourselves. That I am not worthy. I am not good enough. I'm not beautiful. I, I'm, not, I'm not what God created me to be. All these things that I hear my friends telling me or I hear God telling me every day, I'm just not those because of this. Because it wasn't safe. See, it's time that we take that back and look at how God created this to be. He designed it for a purpose. It's being our most vulnerable. And as we are vulnerable, we experience unconditional love and safety. And because sex is supposed to be safe, it's supposed to keep us from the dangers of what the Bible has labeled sexual sin. If used correctly, it keeps us from that. When we experience intimate, fun, godly sex, we won't be tempted into sexual sin because that has nothing to offer. We realize that God has created it and love is part of it. And gives you everything you need. There is nothing that lust could ever give you. In fact, lust only takes. There is no reason to look elsewhere. Sex within a marriage covenant should be free and frequent. I got four kids and I don't see any elbows out there. I don't want to see that. It's supposed to be there. Doing it helps protect both partners from sexual sin. Godly sex should keep us safe from adultery and lust. Should be. Which is why we see God so jealous for us as his bride. Because we're following either the wise woman or we're following the, the, the promiscuous woman of the world. We're following one of those. If you find your str struggle with uh, lust or pornography, if that was your word, then there is help. There is only shame when you keep it to yourself. There's only guilt there, which is where the enemy wants you to be. There's a lot of resources like the Triple X Church or Covenant Eyes or just talking to somebody you really trust. Whatever. It's an addiction like any substance, alcohol or meth or cigarettes. It's an addiction. It's something that, that our enemy has distorted. In church, our language should be one of love. We can do everything around us and in this world. But if we don't do it with love, then it's, it means nothing. In fact, 1 Corinthians, Paul says this. If I could speak the language of love of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift... Oh, where'd you go? My iPad just shut it off. Okay, I have a paper. I come prepared. It says this. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understand, understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor, and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Love, it does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. What a great way to put it. Lust would have left long ago. Lust is not about being hopeful or doing all things through faith. Lust is not about um, um, uh, boasting. Lust is all about boasting. But lust keeps records of being wronged. It celebrates injustice. Love doesn't celebrate that. 
So, man, technology is great. Isn't it? Here we go. Love is also not an emotion. I know that um, um, uh, this weekend could be a hard time for people. Not everybody enjoys uh, Valentine's Day, but um, um, I want to let you know that um, it's not what the world has created it to be. That it's not, that, that uh, just because you, you, it might serve as a reminder for some that you're not good enough, like I said, or you're not uh, uh, pretty enough. But I, I get that because that's exactly what the world is telling. But you're not broken. You are good. You are beautiful. You are worthy. You are valuable because of who God created you to be. But in our over-sexualized world, we have been taught to find value in how others view us. And if I don't have that value, then I must be broken. See, God has validated you for who you are, not what you have or don't have. <coughs> he has validated you and has chosen you and bought you. Lust lies to us and is very impatient. So now instead of, of following this promiscuous or this immoral woman, we as a group of believers choose to follow a wise woman, which I believe exactly who we are. So I ask again, who are we allowing to influence our life? I see beautiful things in the capital C church. And I truly believe that the church is beautiful. That the church has a lot to offer this world. If we get involved in the conversation. Not in a religious, strict way. But in a loving way. In one that is patient. In one that is kind. In one that is more concerned with the people asking the questions than the people that hold the answers. I believe that the Capital C Church is something to be cherished. I believe that the capital C church is what Proverbs 31 describes her to be. It says that she is clothed with strength and dignity, and she is she lasts without fear of the future. When she speaks, her words are wise, and she gives instructions with kindness. That's what I believe the capital C church to be. That's love. That's a bride who has chosen love over us. So guys, as you go out throughout this week, let these things just roll around. And I want to thank you and I want to commend you for being here this morning and sharing these moments and digging through something that might be uncomfortable for some of us. If you have any questions or, or that you're reflecting on throughout the week, uh, reach out to uh, your house church group members. Uh, reach out to Aaron, Ryan, even myself. Um, I'd love to answer any questions and wrestle with you. But thank you guys for sharing these moments. And have a good Sunday.